uh, there's no place for hard work. Okay, there's no replacement for that. And it's always good to, to kind of go into it thinking that because a lot of these guys, these these young syndicator guys, they're looking for how do I get in and own a little piece of the big pie for nothing. And I'm not saying this and everybody. There's a lot of great syndicators out there, sure, but they don't realize that real estate when you're operating is not passive income. What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show. Thank you for tuning in. This is a show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino by investing in real assets, real property, real estate. Today, our guest is Nathan Malazzo. And today, we're we're learning the story, the strategies, the techniques of a young guy who became a real estate investor and is now buying multiple apartment complexes through his partnerships in his early 20s, which is really just incredible. He started with very little money in his real estate venture and built up from there. And that's what we're talking about today. We're learning his story, his strategies, things that tactics that he's used to negotiate these deals, how he put this, these partnerships together and all of that, uh, all everything in there, because I think it's important to highlight stories like his for, for folks. Really, I don't, I don't really care how old you are, whether you think you're too young or you think you're too old or you think you don't have enough money to do real estate deals. I'm sorry, it's not true. And Nathan's a young guy, but these lessons extend to folks who are older who, you know, and I talked to some of you guys out there who think you maybe you're too old to get started. Well, you're not because your age is irrelevant in this business. As long as you can apply some of these lessons to your real estate investments, then you can do it. I don't care how old you are, just gotta keep going, learn these lessons and make it happen. And guys like Nathan are great to talk to. For one, he's a fun guy to talk to, but uh, from the tactics and strategies that he and the lessons that he has to teach us, you can learn so much. And he has his own podcast that uh, is coming out soon or it's already out. I think it's actually already out. Uh, that he's going to tell you about a little later in the show. And I want to say uh, you'll you'll learn the name because it's going to make sense based on how he explains it. So just stay tuned and you're going to want to look up his show and subscribe to learn more. You're going to learn so much. If you do enjoy the show and you're an Apple podcast user, please take a quick second, leave us a rating and review five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show. That helps us rank higher in the Apple podcast ecosystem. And I'll be perfectly honest with you. It helps me feel good because I get to see that this content is helping you guys out there. You're engaging, you're escaping that casino, and you're investing in real estate through these lessons. And that's what we're all about here. If you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, look us up in the search function, hit that subscribe button. That way you'll get every new episode straight to your mobile device every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor, real estate syndicator. I buy real estate with passive investors and split the return. Once again, I love all of these lessons today. Lessons or, or stories like his are so important because, again, I talk to some of you guys out there who think you're too young or think you're too old or think you don't have enough capital to get started. And if you want to do it, you can make it happen. Just learn from others who did it and do what they did. Apply those lessons and go make it happen. So without any further ado, here we go with Nathan Malazzo. Nathan, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. 
I'm really excited to talk with you. You have such an awesome story, very inspiring. You've done a lot of great things as a young guy, which is which is incredible. Great to see. For our listeners out there who don't know who you are, don't know what you've done, can you give us an intro? Tell us about what you do. Yeah, my name is Nathan Malazzo. Uh, I'm here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I started out very humble beginnings, you know, with a lawn business, and I turned that into a little single family house, which turned into a fourplex, turned into a thirty-six or thirty-two unit, now a thirty-six and a forty. So yeah, it's it's grown exponentially since the past five years. It's been great. Uh, it's a big learning curve for sure. Uh, very different life than most people that I'm around have. Uh, but yeah, it's great. Uh, it's definitely kind of cool because. Uh, a lot of a lot of the guys that I hang out with are your normal, you know, W two guys, and they just don't really. <laughs> it's a very different lifestyle. Uh, I saw I'll say on that one, but yeah, it's it's been great. Awesome, and you got started at a, a super young age, which is very impressive. You said you had a, a lawn business first. Can you tell us about that experience of starting as a real estate investor very young, and I, you know, and how young were you? Yeah. So my first deal, technically I was 18. I was a wholesale. And then I was 19 when I had a little single family, like wholesale deal. And I bought my first house at 21, which was a, uh, a house that I was renting from the uh, landlord. It was a live-in flip, I guess you should call it. It was uh, kind of a mess there. It was really rough. Uh, we ended up getting the house for 118. It's worth probably upwards about 240 now. Uh, the neighborhood actually appreciated pretty well. And then we got it for dirt cheap just because it was pretty rough. Um, but yeah, and that that in turn, I used the equity from that one to put in the bigger ones and bigger ones and bigger ones and bigger ones. Basically, just refining and repeating the entire process and scaling up you know, that way. And then obviously partnering up with you know partners helped me grow pretty quick. Um, but yeah, it, it started off. Really, uh, the first deal I found real estate by, I was you know cutting lawns and everything. Uh, and I was listening to podcasts and really just always wanted to have some kind of money situation figured out. You know, uh, I, I just didn't know how to do it. You know, I've always like saw wealthier people and I wanted to be that person. You know, I just never could figure out how. And then I found real estate. And it was funny because a lot of the clients I was working for had really nice houses or anything. I'm just really nosy. So I asked them, you know, I'm cutting five or six properties for you. You know, how'd you do all this? And they would explain it to me. And then conversations opened up to where I just, really and truly asked them if they wanted to sell because they were older. And that's how I came across uh, the fourplex, which was a steal of a deal too. Um, but yeah, it, it was really organically grown. We got the fourplex for uh 242 and now it's like, I think 280 or no, 380. I'm sorry. But yeah. So it's really and truly it's the base of obviously bigger pockets. I used the 2% rule, but um, yeah. So just, kind of growing like that. Awesome. That's great. And I, I, I love all these stories about um, success stories like yours where folks didn't let uh, age hold them back. But the other thing, the other uh, excuse, if you will, that some people use is money. Either I'm, I'm too old or I'm too young to get started or and or, you know, I don't have all the money to do all these deals. So I, I might as well not even try. Right. Well, How did you do it? For people like that, I'll just tell them the first deal I closed, uh, it was my little uh, wholesale deal. I made 20 grand on that one and absolutely nice. every penny of it though. Because I was 19, it was summertime. What would a kid do, right? Yeah, you know? <laughs> blew it all. But then after that, uh, I was renting this house uh, and uh, my landlord was always complaining about just how it was a headache for her, you know? So I didn't have any money and I asked her if she wanted to sell it and she by no means thought I was, I was the guy that was wanting to buy it. I thought, I guess she thought that I was just being nosy, right? 
But I told her, I was like, well, look, I've got like two grand in my name right now. I'll give you that and I'll pay for closing costs and, you know, we'll sell or finance the rest. And she didn't even know what that was. I had a teacher on that. But basically I bought my first house for, I think, $2,100 cash. And then literally cash. So she didn't want a cashier's check or anything because she didn't, she didn't think I had it. <laughs> so I had to go get cash, bring it to closing and show it to her in an envelope that was actually there. She counted it. And then basically every time I would get paid for my, or like a side job or landscape job, I would put something new in the house, <laughs> whether it was flooring, uh, toilet, whatever needed to be done. You know, we literally lived with bare concrete floors for, I think, a year and a half. Just, just from literally like not having the money to fix it. But yeah, and then that turned in, I used the equity on that one when I was finally done. I used the equity in that one and I uh, found this fourplex from another lady and I had saved up this time seven grand. So it was big money, you know, big, big money I had then. Uh, so I had seven, I think I had like $7,400 to my name and I, I literally told her I'll give you $7,000. And if you need cash, I can do that. But this lady really didn't need to see cash. So I just gave her a cashier's check. Bought the fourplex with that one. And then by that time, I had probably about $150,000 of equity in both those properties. And then, uh, or between the both, between the two of them. Uh, and then in turn, use that to partner up with my three partners that I have now in the 32 unit. And now we're turning that into a little 10 unit and possibly a uh, 40 unit. So yeah, it's it's been uh, quite the journey. <laughs> and then along the way, kind of a few little wholesale deals here and there, but nothing you know crazy. Well, that's awesome. And I love the the strategy of really using adding value and some creative financing to uh, make these things happen. Now, uh, I don't want to skip over it too much. You had to educate one of the sellers on what seller financing was. And I think when folks kind of get into that, that becomes a big stumbling block because the person might think, oh, they're just good. This guy's just trying to rip me off or what is this? How did you approach that and, you know, really uh, get her on your side, if you will? Right. Well, that was the biggest struggle is her thinking that I was going to rip her off or anything. I was, her, I was her tenant. You know, how would a tenant have any money? Right. Uh, but really, I just explained to her that, you know, over time, it was a, uh, I think a three year balloon or something like that. I told her the interest that you're going to accrue over that. And I just added it all up to show her how much she would actually be getting for the property. Because that was a big thing for her was like. She won the house in a divorce 20 years ago. She had she had been to the house three times since then. <laughs> Literally three times. She forgot how to get there. Uh, but really sweet lady. I mean, not talking bad about her, but uh, her biggest thing was how could she get the most money possible for the property? Okay. And I told her, I was like, look, this, this thing hasn't had any repairs done at all for 20 years. And you could tell everything was falling apart. There was mold everywhere. But really, it was, I really kind of brought it to the fact of like, okay, I can give you this interest rate and you're taxed differently on uh, you know that way of income. And then I also showed her the interest you would accrue over that time. And then I told her, you know, I always said I have to, I'd owe you all of this by this date. And that's really how it, I just kind of simplified it for her. I didn't try to get all fancy with her, didn't use any fancy terms. I literally just tried being as simple as possible, showing her what you know the upside was for her and the downside of her keeping the property. Because honestly, she was on the verge of somebody was going to sue her, really, uh, just because the property was so the the mold. So just to give a quick little backstory, the utility room where the washer and dryer was, the drain that flows like the water out of the washing machine was clogged. So the tenant before us, instead of being a logical human being and telling her about it because he didn't want rent going up, they would just let the whole utility room flood every oh, time man. the water flows. So 
this was going on for who knows how long. And we, uh, it's funny how you start ripping walls out, what you start finding. We found, we had the resheet rock almost this whole side of the house. It's because there was, every time we pull up a new thing of sheet rock, there'd be another one that had a mold on it. You know, it just, oh, man. it kept going. And I guess from the way it was, it really, it had to be going on for at least 10 years, you know? And just the, I was always sick in that house. So anyway, I kind of brought that up to her really. And that scared her. And I didn't mean to like take advantage of her really, but that was just a fact of the matter, really. So, uh, yeah, so that helped also. But really simplifying things, that's where I think a lot of investors go wrong is trying to complicate everything just because they want to sound smart, which they probably are smart. Nobody's saying that they're not. I just, I think really when you're dealing with real people, you want to be very honest, very open, you know, to questions or anything like that. And just simplifying it as much as you possibly can because a scare a person who's confused says no you know as long as you're upfront about everything open to questions and we've done a, a couple of seller finance deals that fourplex actually was seller finance also so I, I just like people i like being personal with them uh, i don't like trying to you know weigh these fancy terms in front of them just because i'm a normal person they're normal people you know as long as you approach it like that i've been successful with it really so far <laughs> <laughs> nice that's awesome and it, it can be uh, difficult talking with sellers who it sounds like she probably had a, a somewhat, somewhat reasonable ex price expectation that maybe you had to talk her down a little bit, but she wasn't way off in the clouds thinking it was worth two times what it really right. was. So, so she wanted to get an appraisal on it. Uh, and we ended up doing that, but I still talked her down about $30,000 below what it appraised for just because the appraiser didn't really see a lot of the hidden stuff that was there. And I just justify, I basically had a spreadsheet breaking down all the expenses because I, I lived there. I, I knew exactly what it needed. This and another thing too, there was a, a, another utility room that didn't have a door on it that went out the outside. And then somebody had fallen through the ceiling on that. <laughs> so I swear to you, there was raccoons in the attic. Oh man. So like there, it, there was a lot of issues that were just going to keep adding up and adding up and adding up. And really and truly nobody else was interested in selling it. And, or buying it, I should say. So I also, I really did play that, play that card pretty well. But, um, but yeah, it, it was very, it was a project. I remember when I, when I wanted to buy it, my parents were like, are you out of your mind? You're literally 21 years old. You have no money. This is all your money you saved up. And this place is a dump, you know? So, but anyway, it, usually the, the good ideas are always the crazy ones, right? So that's true. Yeah. It's, it was all your money, but it was also $2,000. Like you can make $2,000 again. And, and my argument to my parents was, what do I have to lose? You know, I'm only you know this old and really, <laughs> I mean, it was only upside really, you know, cause I was doing all the work myself. And honestly, without that deal, I really don't know where I'd be in my career today. Mm -hmm. That deal has been, like you said, you ask all your uh, guests, like, you know, what the best deal they've ever done is, and it's gotta be that one because with that one, I really probably wouldn't be sitting here. Awesome. Well, it just takes that that first good one to get uh, get it started. So that's great. Do you want direct access to passive commercial real estate investments, including apartments, self-storage, medical facilities, hotels, and even more? CrowdStreet has you covered. They provide access to a wide variety of commercial real estate syndications for accredited investors. Over 520 deals have been closed through the platform and investors have placed over $2.1 billion, that's billion with a B, in those deals. Go to PassiveWealthStrategy.com slash CrowdStreet to get started 
or click the link in the show notes. See the CrowdStreet platform for full terms and conditions of what they offer. Once again, that's PassiveWealthStrategy.com slash CrowdStreet to get started. And as you've scaled up, you've moved into apartment buildings. I'd like to learn more about what you've done there, how you guys, your partnership coming together has enabled that. And also like what kind of assets you're going after and any, you know, experiences you've had around. Yeah. So, uh, uh, we have, a, we've become locally kind of known in the broker world as bottom feeders. Hmm. I, at first I was uh, offended by that, but now I'm actually going to turn it into a brand because I'm a smart ass. Uh, Catfish so, properties. Right. Yeah. So we're actually going to do a podcast now. We're going to do like a show. We have, everybody always tells us, you know, we could, we have so many stories of this crazy stuff that happens. We could write a book about it. I'm not trying to write a book, but I definitely am trying to film a few things uh, with permission from people, obviously. But yeah, so we're going after, to answer your question, I got into apartment buildings by, uh, I had that fourplex and it was a very, uh, Baton Rouge has a very dense student population here. And LSU, um, it's the LSU, it's this university here, uh, has this program where they're building these new condos and stuff like this. And a lot of students can't afford those. So they're kind of getting pushed out. Mm-hmm. The average rent for these new these new condos is seven hundred dollars a bedroom, and they're these are six bedroom like condos. So these are like you have six other roommates, right? So they're yeah, oh yeah, it's ridiculous. That's brutal. Yeah, it's because we're we're running out of space here. We're surrounded by water. <laughs> so anyway, so there's this little area, a little pocket of properties called Brightside and Tigerland, and it has the the most the most terrible reputation you can imagine. Is you know, we have the one-stop shop. We have the prostitutes. Crack is a really big problem. We have heroin's a big problem. Uh, so, and the thing that's beautiful about it, it shares the same zip code as the university. So they're trying to get systems in place to try to clean that place up because say you're from Michigan or whatever, and you look up the crime in the zip code of LSU. Sure. Guess what? Right. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So we're working with a lot of local government and stuff like that to try to clean this place up. But to answer your question, we're going after apartments just because the opportunity was there. There was a lot of guys scared of it just because we've dealt with some very crazy people. I'm talking very like threatening us. Uh, literally, we, we've had guys with AR-15s, literally like everything. So we're just, I'm a young guy. I'm not really, I'm not saying I'm a, not afraid of guns or anything, but I'm not afraid of the challenge, right? So that's how we kind of got into this. It's definitely specific to Baton Rouge. I don't see a scale in, in this. Um, I'd say we'd probably do like maybe a couple hundred units here. And then if we go out of market, it'd probably be a different asset class for sure. Because this is just one of those things that's um, very management intensive, but also very good cash flow and everything like that. It goes for the Yeah. When you get into the hairy assets, you need to really right. understand the market and know what right. you're getting into. Right. And you really need to have friends with the eviction judge the police office, police department, you have to have, it becomes more like political at that point. You really want to have your ducks in a row when it comes to, you know, improving the community and trying to get a lot of the local politicians and police department on your side, because if you don't, you're kind of fighting the battle by yourself. And that's when it becomes way harder than it needs to be. Mm-hmm. So we found that out the hard way and we've made every mistake in the book. I promise you. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's been, it's been a hell of a journey, man, <laughs> but it's been fun. I, I really, I really do enjoy it. It's it's a new adventure every day. We got to meet a lot of great people who are really grateful that we're, we're doing a lot of stuff for them. And we're getting to affect a lot of, really I like is helping the kids, you know? Because these kids, they were, it was like, all these buildings are cockroach infested. The owners don't really care. It's just kind of, 
it's, it's not a good situation. So it's rewarding one and two, it's really good for profitability, return on investment, but more importantly to us, we were just making a difference in the area. Yeah. Fixing up some of those, uh, those old buildings that have been owned by maybe the same people for a long time. They're not taken well taken care of, or maybe they haven't owned them that long. They didn't know what they were getting into and they're, they're letting them get gross. You can really make a big difference. How, you know, faced with a gun, right? I mean, that's scary. It's it's common now. It's like, it's funny. We were there the other day and our uh, manager that lives there is like, Oh yeah, we had a stabbing the other night. I'm like, okay, well what happened? And, uh, and it wasn't our building, by the way, it was, it's cause we, we don't, we screen our tenants, uh, but it was the one next to ours. And the problem, that's what I was saying, getting local politicians on your side is cause we evicted tenants and they'd move next door. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's scary, but as long as you understand that you kind of calm the confrontation down, the tenants don't know we own the complexes. I'm young. So I'm, I'm and I drive a beat up F-250. I blend right in. I literally, nobody would ever know that I own the building. And I'm the young guy. I just tell him I work with the manager or whatever. So, but yeah, it's, it's, it can be scary sometimes. And it definitely, it's something that you want to really be on your toes about for sure. I suppose, you know, I, I, I've not had a firearm pulled on me, although I'm not unfamiliar with firearms. Generally, they've never been pointed at me deliberately. Right. Um, how do you convince a manager to live there <laughs> when they know yeah. that's, you know, po- a possibility? So. Okay, so to answer your question directly, the manager that we have now lived there before. He's a great man, Mr. Alan French. Shout out to you. You're amazing. Uh, I'm sure he'll listen to this later. Without him, really, we, I don't know where we'd be, really. But to answer your question, we, uh, my business partner is involved heavily with a big, pretty big church around here, and they have a ministry outreach. Uh, so these guys are going to, I mean, Guatemala, Mexico, really bad you know rough places so they're used to kind of uh doing this so we're partnering up with them to kind of do ministry outreach within these uh inner city communities so it's kind of a win-win uh they don't necessarily have to live at all the properties we can have them live at one that's a little bit safer and kind of outreach the ones that are more dangerous but yeah so these are mainly i'm not even saying we're convincing them per se this is almost as a ministry outreach program so it's like an opportunity for them to do their, to get their hours or whatever they need to do to become ministers. They're not volunteers, they're paid, but they're, you know, they're paid based on free rent and then we pay them a salary. So they're, they're, they're compensated for their time. And we definitely want to pay them a good amount because of the stuff they're dealing with. But these people are used used to, you know, a lot of this, the drama that goes on in these places. They've gone to really much rougher areas in, in right. much less stable it's, countries. And the, the cool thing that, that they've said to us really is like when you're in say uh, Afghanistan, you can't just leave the area and go to Walmart. Right. <laughs> no. But when you're staying at this building, yeah, you might be in a rough area now, but you can escape that and say, go to the park for the day and kind of escape. Right. So this is almost a upgrade really from what they're used to. And I'm not degrading anybody that, that does that. It, that's, that's great. But I'm saying, they're used to a lot worse, really. Uh, and this is kind of, I'm not saying easier, but it's a little bit different and better, if that makes sense. Yeah, that. yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, you mentioned you you guys have formed, that, formed this partnership to take down these apartment complexes and scale. How do you structure that? That's another big question that always comes up when folks yeah. are 
saying, I want to get into a partnership, but I don't really know how to get started. I'm, I'm not really sure what I bring to the table, maybe other than money or anything like that. How have you guys sorted yeah. that out? So um, right now we're just doing joint ventures. Uh, and then we're, we're looking into branching into syndication really, but really and truly we're getting the buildings for cheap enough to we don't need to mm-hmm. for now. Uh, but joint venturing is the way we've done it in the past. Uh, and a lot of times, like on this next deal, I'm super excited. My parents are actually getting on it. So our goal is to retire five people in the next two years. Uh, and my parents being one of them, that'd be awesome. I'd be so excited for them. But um, each deal has its own LLC, obviously, just to keep everything clean to where if one partnership goes south, we could obviously buy them out or sell the property, whatever needs to happen. And it wouldn't affect the other properties. And we're not just partnering up with anybody with a pulse either. These are people we've known for my whole life or years. Um, so there's a lot of trust there, right? So yeah, it just one of those, you really, with a partnership, be careful because joint venturing is your partners with the person. And usually we bring somebody would say money to the, to the deal for a agreed upon, you know, percentage ownership after everything is said. How about managing day to day with a, a JV partner? How do you, uh, handle those responsibilities? Operating agreements. <laughs> so we, uh, we make sure everything's clear in the uh, beginning that everybody has a role. I do more of the asset management and property management or overseeing property management there. The business partner, Brad, does a lot of the, every, really everything, really. <laughs> he swings hammers, uh, everything. He, he parachutes over the building if he needs to. It, it's He's crazy, man. I don't know how he's, uh, I have to get a life insurance policy on him. Honestly. <laughs> but um, yeah, so we, we have a very, and then obviously our other partners and money partners are mostly passive for the most part. They get um, updates through emails. They, we let them come to the property as much as they want. Usually they want to be pretty active. So really touring, overseeing construction and rehab, and we have budgets that they're aware of. But for the day-to-day operations of it, me and Brad handle most of that. Like I handle, like I said, asset management, overseeing the property management and kind of budgeting. Brad does a lot of the overseeing of the uh, general contractors, making sure that we're not getting ripped off anyway. And also deals with a lot of, if it's he likes doing handyman work. So if it's small stuff, he'll go over there and kind of tinker with it. And um, really just kind of presence at the property helps, you know, as much as you can be there as possible. So I would also add uh, presence at the apartments, you know? So uh, yeah, stuff like that. Nice. So if you were to put myself in the the seat of the listener, somebody that's out there that relates to you or relates to your goals, but obviously hasn't made all of those moves. If you were to give them like one or two pieces of specific advice, it's so they can emulate or copy or achieve, you know, work to achieve what you've achieved so far. What would that be? What's I, maybe I'm asking for the secret sauce, or may yeah. asking a centipede how it walks, or something like that. But uh, there's no place for hard work. Okay, there's no replacement for that, and it's always good to, to kind of go into it thinking that because a lot of these guys, these these young syndicator guys, they're looking for how do I get in and own a little piece of the big pie for nothing. And I'm not saying this and everybody. There's a lot of great syndicators out there, for sure, but they don't realize that real estate when you're operating is not passive income. It's far from it actually. Uh, so once you know that it can be passive for like an older investor or who, you know, somebody that the agreement is you bring the money. Right. But when you're operating the deal, this is not passive income. Right. So that would be number one. And number two would be make sure that you have enough contingencies in your contracts for your purchase agreements. Really, truly we've, we've lost deals, uh, just cause we ran out of time. Uh, especially right now, everybody's refinancing. So make sure you uh, have good contingent. We lost, I mean, 
a really good interest money deposit a few months ago. It hurt pretty bad, <laughs> really, because we just really didn't have enough time to get it appraised, get all of our ducks in a row for you know due diligence, stuff like that. Make sure you have very outlined, very uh, you know specific outlines of what your due diligence period is, when it starts, when it ends, what needs to be done, what paperwork you need. Because really and truly, look, hindsight 2020, it it was really a lot of uh, air, it's a little bit of everybody, you know, we didn't get documents that we needed to send in the bank and, you know, mm-hmm. stuff like that. So uh, that would be number two. Number three would be to pick your market and learn it. Like you've never learned anything before, because there's so many hidden things that you would never think would come up. Like, Oh, that, that would not happen to me. That that's, that happened to him, but that wouldn't happen to me, you know? So it's almost like continuing education. It doesn't matter how well, you know, a market, you need to keep up on that market because things happen that you might not know about, you know, whether it's local government changing or uh, strategies that went away because financing has changed. And there's just all kinds of different ways that you really need to kind of stay on top of it because there's been things that happened really just within two streets of us that changed everything. Right. So that you just didn't know they were coming or you didn't know ahead of time yeah, or you did they're coming and, it, you know, and, just for example, say you're trying to buy a fourplex and your plan is to do sober living out of it, right? Which if you're not familiar with that, it's basically you have um, individuals who are in the path of being sober, you rent out the buildings. But if you try doing that and then the next week, a local government passes uh, you know, ordinance saying you can't do that anymore, but then your whole business model is destroyed. Same thing goes for you know short-term rentals like Airbnbs. You really need to stay on top of that. So honestly, if you're looking to get into this business, you need to be reading a lot. Uh, I recommend Bigger Pockets, staying on that, uh, listening to any kind of podcast like this one. Really, just you can never have too much information. And I know they say analysis paralysis, but really, you really kind of have to stay up on it. You know, there's really, in my belief, there's not really too much you can know. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there is a gap between analysis paralysis and knowing absolutely nothing. There is a, right. there is a degree where you're adequately informed. Yeah. And can make it's good crazy. We've, we've met older individuals that have owned property for 40 years and have no clue what they're doing. They're, they've wow. just gotten lucky for, you know, for years. And even worse than that is these guys are making a lot of cash flow per month because they've paid off the property or whatever. And their kids come along they come dancing in. They're like, Oh, okay. I'm just take over my dad's business and sit by the pool all day. Right. Well, those are the people we land up buying from because they just have no idea what they're doing. Nine times out of 10, those are the deals we're coming after. It's the kids who have inherited property. They just want to sit back and collect their cash, which is fine. But this is not the 80s anymore. Everybody is a lawyer now with Google. You know, you can get sued very easy now. Mm-hmm. It's, it's crazy how easily you can get sued. And then really, your tenants are smarter than they were. No offense. They just are. You know, it just... So you have to really kind of stay on top of your stuff, long story short. Awesome. I love that. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Have you ever wanted to invest in the private lending and debt side of real estate? You might find that going out and finding borrowers on your own is tough. When you find a borrower, you have the task of evaluating their plan all on your own. And the traditional way of lending private money highly concentrates your risk because you'll probably be funding the whole rehab loan on your own. That meant writing loan checks well into the hundreds of thousands of dollars, placing a lot of risk in individual borrowers and properties. Not to mention, there's a lot for you to know in terms of how to structure these loans so that you can help protect yourself and work with the borrower in your interests. Now, there's a new way to invest in the debt side of real estate 
that turns the private money lending space on its head. You can invest in a variety of debt instruments with this new platform with as little as $10 in each opportunity. You can diversify your investment across a wide variety of borrowers, geographies, and asset types. This new platform is called Ground Floor. They make it easy to invest in either your name or using your self-directed IRA. And if you don't already have a self-directed IRA, don't worry. They make it easy to get started and get one opened. Go to www.passivewealthstrategy.com slash ground floor to get started or click the link in the show notes. See the ground floor site for full terms and details of what they offer. Once again, that's www.passivewealthstrategy.com slash ground floor or click the link in the show notes. Back to the show. All right, Nathan, I've got three questions, as you know, that I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? All right, I'm ready. You kind of answered the first one already, but we're going to do it anyway. What is right. the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Yeah, that, that first little single family house, man, that, that thing has been uh, chugging along. It's been the, my I call it my bank because I have just so much equity in it. I just go there, put HELOCs on it if I need, pay that off. Uh, it's great. It's in a great little market. Uh, it's really turned around since I bought it. Um, it has good cash flow, good rents there, but yeah, without that building, I really don't think, uh, I would have, I would have been doing what I'm doing now. The first one starts the fire. I love it. We had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Probably losing, uh, a lot of money in earnest money deposits by, uh, and I wouldn't call it an investment per se. It was an attempt for an investment. Uh, the deal itself was great. Uh, I, I, you know, I learned a lot from it. All the good investors have their scars, you know, but I'd say a bad investment per se would be, uh, kind of not being lazy, but not being proactive either and letting time kind of go by. And next thing you know, your due diligence period is up and the earnest money deposit goes hard. And next thing you know, you lose the deal and there goes all your money. So I would uh, say that would be my worst investment. Also on top of that, I did, uh, have my little per se, my little, um, experience in the stock market know what you're investing in. Don't don't try to just follow the crowd and do what you want, especially with all this Bitcoin stuff going on. You can really get burned if you don't know what you're doing in the stock market. So those two would probably be my worst investments. Absolutely. Staying in your lane is so important. And I've been on the I've been on the seller side of somebody having their earnest money go hard and because they didn't perform and uh, we kept it and that's that's the deal. Yeah. But well hopefully one day I'll do that and I'll get it back because <laughs> that was uh <laughs> Yeah, a nice little chunk of change we lost just out of nowhere, just gone, you know? So it's all right. It happens. Bummer. You'll make it back. It's a, a tough seminar, but uh, you will you know that now for the future and you're still young, right. So. Oh, yeah. It's like a semester of Harvard, really. That's how I look at it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Probably uh, hard work and education. You always want to, like I said earlier, you always want to kind of keep keep to the times and keep sharp on everything that's going on, especially with COVID. We were so scared when we bought that 32 unit during COVID. Um, and then people stopped paying you, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, really just keeping, keeping sharp on everything and uh, yeah, just hard work and grit really because there's a lot of ups and downs in this business uh you'll have a great day and then the next day it'll kind of be you'll have some unexpected happen and this is really you have to have surround yourself with good people too kind of keep everybody positive and everybody moving forward to move your goal you know closer to the next step 
I love that. Well, Nathan, thank you for joining us today, bringing all these awesome lessons and for being such an inspiring uh, figure and, and doing some great things out there. If folks want to reach out, if they want to find you on the internet, they want to get in touch, they want to find you know your podcast or your brand or whatever, where can they track you down? So on Facebook, I'm just Nathan Malazzo. It's M-I-L-A-Z-Z-O. And then Instagram, same thing, Nathan underscore Malazzo. Uh, we are, it should be live by the time this podcast comes out. I'm not sure when this comes out, but we're going to launch a podcast called Bottom Feeders just because we're, we've been called that name. They've been name calling us for a while. I'm just going to take the name call and turn it into a brand, you know? Might so, as well. Uh, yep. Uh, and then we're going to try to film a lot of the stuff that a lot of people don't tell you about low income housing and really the ups and downs and everything. And, you know, really the, but really our goal is to help as many of these underprivileged people as possible because that's really and truly what it's about all the kids that we've changed lives to and Santa Claus comes to the apartment building and stuff like that is awesome. That's what we live for. So we're trying to document it as much as possible. I hope, I hope, I hope I'll have it launched by the time this podcast comes out, but it'll be called bottom feeders and uh, I can send you some links or whatever before this comes out so we can you know direct them that way. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us once again to everybody out there. Thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please take a second, leave us a rating review on Apple podcasts, that's very much appreciated. That helps other people learn about the show and it helps me feel good because I get to see that you guys are engaging with the content and escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Thank you for tuning in once again. I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.